0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Monday, July the 31st, 2023. It is currently 10.58 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Well, one of our listeners They got in their car recently and they drove to their church. They got there for Sunday school. I know that's, that's, that is that, does that still happen? Okay. They got there for Sunday school. They walked in and somewhere during the lesson, somewhere during the Sunday school lesson, they were told, and I quote, Now the Holy Spirit lives in us. We have the ability to not sin. One of our listeners got in their car. They drove to their church. They got there for Sunday school. The Sunday school teacher stood before the class. I'm assuming the Sunday school teacher was standing. I don't know if it was a podium they were standing in front of. I don't know. Maybe they were sitting. Maybe they're all sitting around tables. I don't know. I don't know the exact uh, situation there. In my mind, they were standing and everyone was there. They had their notebooks open. That's, that's the way I picture church. Everyone has a Bible. Everyone has notebooks. Everyone has pencils because they're sanctified and spiritual. Okay. That's the way I picture it. That's the way I envision it. But the Sunday school teacher was there and I'm, I am sure he said it with, He was, he was very earnest. I believe he was very sincere. He probably, he may even said it with a little bit of passion and zeal. Let me quote it again. Now the Holy Spirit lives in us. We have the ability to not sin. Now, the Holy Spirit lives in us. We have the ability to not sin. Now, that's the way. Now, they didn't give me any any information exactly who said it and what the context was. But as soon as I read that, I'm like, well, one, I'm not shocked. I'm not surprised because that is a general way of thinking in most churches in the United States of America. I cannot speak for churches overseas, but here in the United States of America, within conservative evangelical fundamentalist, you, you just named the uh, the kind of a conservative non-Catholic church. It's this idea that now that you are a Christian, practically speaking, you are a new creature. The old is gone. Behold, all things have become new. They believe that to be true. Practically, you now have the Holy spirit. The Holy Spirit is empowering you, so now you have. Let me quote again. I'm going to read this quote one more time. You, uh, you now have the ability to not sin. Now, do you believe you have the ability to not sin? And and look, you don't have to take my word for this. Just you can ask people in your church. You know, uh, it's Monday night, so you can maybe on Wednesday, if you have a Wednesday service, or the next time you have a small group, or the next time you have a potluck fellowship, whenever you can, do. on social media, just start asking people in your church a hey, question. Now that we have the Holy Spirit, do we have the ability not to sin? And see how many people answer in the affor- affirmative. Yes, we have the ability to not sin. You may want to then ask a follow-up. If we have the ability not to sin, then are you saying sinless perfection is not only possible, it's probable, considering we all have the ability not to sin? And then they may pause. They may go, well, I mean, okay, well, maybe it is possible. It is." Pro-. Or they say, no, it's not possible or probable. Then you say, well, then... If it's not possible or probable that we can be sinless, then clearly we don't possess the ability not to sin because obviously we can't stop sinning. So which is it? Now, they may say, well, no, you can't be, you, 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 we could be, we could be sinless. It is possible. It is probable. But the problem is we don't want to be. Well, then the issue would be, well, wait a minute. Why do we not want to be? If the Holy Spirit's given me the ability not to sin, why doesn't the Holy Spirit change my want to, to want to? Or why doesn't the Holy Spirit change my, don't want to, to want to. I mean, this raises serious questions and Christians speak this way. Now, what this tells me, this is my own feelings about this, is that for way too long, Christians just adopt a language. It's like, it's like, you know, now that you're a Christian, this is how you talk. These are phrases we use. These are concepts and everybody's just like, And and I know this is not, you, you may feel that this is unfair, but I believe it's fair. Christians just say, okay, I'll just use the same terminology. I'll just use the same phrases and no one ever stops to go, well, wait a minute. That makes absolutely no sense. Sometimes it takes the skeptic, the agnostic, the atheist, someone who's almost walked away from Christianity to go, you people are out of your minds. You say things that make no sense. Because if Christians possess the ability not to sin, then sinless perfection would be absolutely possible and probable. And not only that, if you possess said ability, how come none of you can pull it off? because you've had 2,000 years to show us sinless people. And they may say, well well, we have the Holy Spirit, we can't be sinless, but we can sin less. But then, how do you even measure what does that mean? sin less in what way? Just in an external way? Because I don't care how much external sins you find a way to stop doing. I guarantee you internally, you're still failing. And you know the ones I'm going to point out. Love the Lord, that God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. You're in perpetual disobedience. Love your neighbor as yourself. You're in perpetual disobedience and be holy as he is holy. I'm sorry. Those are three, three strikes. You're out. You're in perpetual sin. So do you possess the ability or not possess the ability? Can someone give me an answer? So I'm not shocked that someone went to Sunday school and heard that. I'm not. What I'm shocked is that nobody within these churches ever stopped to go, well, then why do I keep sinning? Why do I keep sinning then? And it seems that those who do come to this realization, well, wait a minute, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Everyone just kind of treats them as you're neurotic. You're just, you're just, you're blowing it out of proportion. You take this stuff too serious. They almost act like you're the crazy one. Like I'm not the crazy one. You're the one who told me now that I have the Holy Spirit, I have the ability to stop sinning. (laughs) Why am I the crazy one? We should all be bothered by this, but for some reason they're not. So my, this person who told me this, who said they went to church, he told me, he, he went on to say this. So I tried to find biblical support for that statement. So he, I guess after Sunday school, I hope he didn't try to do it during Sunday school. I hope not. I hope not. Okay. So let me just state this. Let me just state this. This is very important. Let me just state this. Very important. Whenever you're in church and someone says something that you may think is fraudulent, think is wrong, you, just please just write it down. Like in your notes, just write it down. You know, write it down. Say, look this up. I don't know about this. I, I, you know, and just write yourself a little note and then continue to listen just because that's respect to the person speaking. Right. Don't be back there, you know, doing your own personal study, not listening to anything else the person says, because you're all you want to do is prove them wrong. Right. So I'm hoping he did it that way. I mean, I could be wrong. He may have done it a different way. But whoever it may be, whenever you're in those situations, please, 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 please. just 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 write it in your notes. Then look it up. And then at at an appropriate time, contact the individual in private not in front of everyone. Don't be telling anybody else in the church, right? And then say, hey, what's up with this? Or, hey, that information was 1,000% fraudulent. Or, hey, that's a whacked out conspiracy theory. Or whatever the case may be. Or, and if if you realize there's no point in telling them because they're not going to listen, depending on the severity of what is going on, then sometimes you have to just leave. And, you know, just leave quietly and don't make a big deal. And just don't, because all you're going to do is create more problems. But This is what he said. So he tried to find biblical support for that statement. And I came across a certain article. After reading it, I'm even more convinced that position is false. So he he started looking for some kind of support, found an article after reading the article, he's even more convinced that clearly we don't have the whole we 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 don't have the holy spirit and when I say that, we don't have the holy spirit in a way that means we're we we have the ability to stop sinning, all right? Now obviously he believes we have the holy spirit because we do. Now, some people say, well, if we have the Holy Spirit, then what do we have the Holy Spirit to do? That raises other questions, right? What What is the Holy Spirit doing in us and through us? And what can we expect or not expect? Most Christians, when push comes to shove, will say, well, we can't be sinless. All right, well, then <laughs> the Holy Spirit is empowering you, but just can't have, just can't give you enough power to sinlessness. Like, it, it just seems odd to me. But all right, so here is the article in question. The article in question I have in front of me, but before I read the headline but the title of the article, let's look up two passages of Scripture. All right, two passages of Scripture. And I think what I'm going to do this evening is maybe just kind of introduce this. And then maybe tomorrow we'll work more on it. I know we're also working on anxiety. We're also working on pride. We got that going on. We're also working on law and gospel. We need to be working on Jeremiah. Um, we need, uh, there, there's a million other things I, I want to work on. Um, yeah, there's, there's so many other things. But, you know, slow, slow and steady is all we can do. So, John chapter 5 is the first passage. I want you to write down the, I want you to just go ahead and write down these two passages of scripture. John 5, 1 through 15, and John chapter 8, verses 3 through 11. John 5, 1 through 15, John 8, 3 through 11. And I want you to just write them down. And I want you to really dedicate some time meditating on these two passages of Scripture. I really, 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 really do. Well, let's go to the first one, John chapter 5. I'm going to read this quick. John 5, 1 through 15. All right. Here we go. Uh Do we read the whole story? I'm going I'm just going to look at verse 14, all right? You you can read the whole story. This is the the healing of a man at the, at the at the uh, now there uh, there now i 'll just read uh, John chapter five verse two I just if I start reading this it 's going to become a verse by verse exposition and and I just I want to try to maintain our focus on where we 're going to go but there there was at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches and these lay a great multitude of impotent folk of blind halt withered waiting for the moving of the water and we know there's a certain individual Jesus tells him to take up his bed and walk and he He is healed, right? Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto the man, so the man who has been healed now, he says, behold, thou art made whole, sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. Sin no more. Wow, that's a, that's, that's a powerful thing. Now, typically, preachers will preach that that hey, see, when you're saved, you, you're to, you're you're to stop sinning, you're to you're to you're to you're to work against sin, you're to try to sin less. But it doesn't say sin less; it says sin no more, or something worse will happen to you. Now, that anyone reading that should be troubled by that, because you're like, well, wait a minute, I know I'm going to continue to sin. You, look, from the moment of your salvation to after, you've continued to sin, 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 sin. So what could worse could happen to you? Like in this case, the man was already in pretty bad shape, right? The man, the man was, in fact, he is described as, there was a certain man there who had an infirmity thirty and eight years. And he, and he couldn't. He, he couldn't do anything. He was impotent. He he couldn't even get into the pool because someone would get in front of him. This man has suffered for all of these years, and Jesus is like, "Hey now, hey now, that I've healed you. If you sin anymore, something worse is going to happen to you." Well, anyone reading that story should be just totally like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa!" First, does that imply the man could literally never sin again? Is that how we interpret that? Most say, well, no, no, no. Jesus is, just, Jesus is just saying, hey, now you need to really stop trying to sin. But that's not how the text reads. So, so there's the first sin no more passage. There's another one in John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Now we know there's lots of arguments about this text. Does it belong? Does it not belong? A woman is caught in adultery, Right? or a woman was supposedly caught in adultery. The whole si- si- situation seems like a setup, but the woman is supposedly caught in adultery. The man obviously is not brought before Jesus. The woman is. The woman is thrown at, you know, Jesus' feet. And he says, he who is without sin cast the first stone. We know that. And then look what, uh, look what uh, Jesus says in John 8, 11. She said, now Jesus speaks to her saying, basically, where are your accusers? Uh, and, uh, hath, uh, hath no man condemned thee? She said, no man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. So in John 5 and in John 8, Jesus tells two separate individuals on two separate occasions, go and sin no more. Now, does that mean, one, once you're saved, you're to go and sin no more and you can actually do that? Does it mean if you, if you are supposedly saved and go and sin some more, something worse is going to happen to you, meaning I guess you're going to lose your salvation? How do we understand these passages? They raise serious theological issues, and I don't know if there's easy answers, but this person found an article entitled, Why Did Jesus Tell People to Go and Sin No More If Sinlessness Is Impossible? Now, that's a really good question. If sinlessness is impossible, why would Jesus tell people to go and sin no more? Now, the article that this person sent me, when he sent this to me, I immediately said, I'm going to do a podcast about it. Now, logic would dictate that I read it first and then formulate a plan. But I, you know, I don't like to do that. I like to do this in real time. So I haven't looked at this yet. I did look enough to figure out what, what the scriptures were. So I saw the two scriptures. Okay, I wrote those down, but I haven't read anything else here in the article. So the title again is entitled, the, the, title, the title of the article is, Why did Jesus tell people to go and sin no more if sinlessness is impossible? Now, I have met at least one, or I've met, well, probably met more than one. I've met a few Christians in my life who claim sinlessness is possible. It's not impossible. It's possible. And that they had basically pulled it off somehow, that they had reached sinlessness. And, and if you just, if you knew them or talked to them, you would be like, it's the most ridiculous and ludicrous thing in my life. Like, you've got to be delusional to believe that. But, but here we go. Let, let's look at this article, all right? Let's 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 read some of this. There are two instances in the New Testament when Jesus told someone to sin no more. And they were under very different circumstances, now, let's stop right here. How do you think this article is going to approach this? Do you think they're going to offer a, a good answer here? What do you think their are, uh, answer is going to be? Let's see. So they're going to look at the two instances. We've looked at we've looked at one of them. The first one is, is obviously in John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15, where Jesus healed an invalid by the pool of Bethesda. Afterward, Jesus found the man and told him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Verse 14, and that's in verse 14. It is clear that Jesus knew what had caused this man's condition. We are not told the specifics of the man's physical impairment, but the context implies it was caused by a sinful choice. Jesus warned the man that he had been given a second chance and that he should make a better choice. If the man returned to his sinful behavior, he have wasted the opportunity Jesus gave him to live whole and forgiven. So their interpretation is Clearly, the, Jesus knew what caused this man to be in this condition, and Jesus is like, hey, if you go sin, you're some, it's, you're, something worse is going to happen to you, all right? Now, is he saying don't go commit a specific sin? Or again, you have to start playing around with it to make it all work. The second we know is the account of the woman taken in adultery, which we've read, or at least the, the key verse. When the woman's accusers brought her before Jesus, expecting him to pronounce judgment, he told them that... The one who was without sin should throw the first stone. One by one, the condemning crowd left. Then Jesus told the woman, Neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. That's in verse 11. She had been caught, she was guilty. She did deserve stoning according to the law of Moses, Leviticus twenty ten, Deuteronomy twenty two twenty two. But the religious leaders who had dragged her therefore had no there had dragged her there had no concern for holiness. They were trying to trap Jesus into saying that the law did not matter. Jesus often reminded those religious leaders that he had not come to abolish the law but to fulfill it. Matthew five seventeen. Don't ever forget that Jesus came to fulfill the law. And that's amazing because he fulfilled it for you and fulfilled it for me. Therefore, the law can no longer condemn us, right? And when people try to use law to condemn me or try to prove that you're not saved, how can you use the law to prove that I'm not saved when Jesus fulfilled it all for me? And by faith, his fulfillment, his obedience to the law is mine. All right, just the whole thing begins to fall apart. All right. He, as God, was the author of the law, Second Timothy 3.16, but the Pharisees focused on the letter of the law, but missed the true spirit of it, which is given in Galatians 5. The whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, the whole law can be summed up uh, in this one command. Well, I think it would be some, wouldn't it be summed up in two? Love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. Love your neighbors yourself. Okay. When Jesus refused to condemn the woman, he was not minimizing the importance of holiness. He was offering her the same kind of forgiveness he offers every one of us. And saying, go and sin no more. Jesus was not speaking of sinless perfection. He was warning against a return to sinful lifestyle choices. So now we've got to kind of modify this. When he says, go and sin no more, he's just like, no, go and don't don't make bad lifestyle choices. I I have a hard time with this, all right? His words both extend mercy and demand holiness. Jesus was always the perfect balance of grace and truth. With forgiveness comes the expectation that we will not continue in the same path of rebellion. Those who know God's love, those who know God's love, will naturally want to obey him. Are you sure? Are you going to always want to obey him? Cuz I guarantee you there are plenty of times that your sinful nature does not want to obey. It doesn't want to love God. It doesn't want to la- love the neighbor. It 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 wants to be it, it it wants to be selfish. It wants to be bitter. It wants it, its own way. It exalts themselves above anybody else. It's worried about how something makes them feel. They don't care how it makes anyone else feel. They can be filled with pettiness, bitterness. You just na- come on. We know that. No, I, I would. In theory, it would be great that it would always work that way. It just doesn't. It doesn't go that way. When we turn to Christ and receive His forgiveness, we experience a heart change. Oh boy, here we go. All right, now when we say when we say you experience a heart change, does that mean that we no longer have a depraved heart and now the heart is completely free from sin? Or do you believe the heart has changed, but the nature remains the same? Or is this the eradication of the old nature? See, these are questions you have to answer. Forgiveness is not cheap, and it does not excuse the sin that separated us from God. It costs God everything to offer us the cleansing that pronounces us righteous before him. Rather than continue in the self-centered path that led us astray from him to begin with, the forgiven can walk in God's path. Now, can we walk in God's path perfectly or just kind of? A move towards God is a move towards righteousness, purity, and holy living. We cannot experience the transforming power of forgiveness without being forever changed. Now, all right. Now, this seems to imply, okay, if I got a new heart, I'm now going to walk towards God and I've now been transformed. I've been changed. Well, is this perfect transformation? Is, Is this perfect? Like, like. Well, what what has happened here? Is is this perfect? Is this is this temporary? What 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 is going on? All right. Now they go on to say, when we turn to Christ and receive His forgiveness, we experience our heart change. Okay, we've already read that paragraph. All right. It goes it goes without saying that the woman caught in adultery did not return to her infidelity. Does it? Are are you sure of that? She had met Jesus. She would not be perfect. No one is. Okay. Now okay. Wait a minute. She's not going to be, she's not going to go back to that sin, but she's not going to be perfect. Meaning she's still going to be sinning. Like I, how does this work? Her eyes had been open to the depravity of what she was doing. Sin no longer had the appeal it once did. See, this is all like, like they want to do everything to say, you get this, you get this change, this change, this change, but she's still not going to be perfect. Well, you're, you're, you're creating a situation where perfection should be the expectation. Um, sin no longer had an appeal it once did. When, when we meet Jesus, sin no longer holds its fatal attraction. It doesn't. Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We who are those who have died to sin, how can you live any longer in it? when we are born again, the power of the Holy Spirit breaks the power that sin once held over us. Once we lived only to please ourselves, but when we have been forgiven, our motivation changes. We now live to to please God. Now, if all of that occurs, hey, now we've been set free. Now we can please God. Then why would you then say, no, 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 you can't be perfect. If all of this is true, new heart, all of this transformation happens the way people describe it. I'm sorry. Sinless perfection would be right around the corner. This Christians constantly sell it this way. You get all of this. You can do all of this. And then we turn around and go, well, I mean, but I mean, you can't be perfect. And then we start making the exceptions. We've got 2000 years of church history. And you know what we've seen? Sin, 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 sin. You know what you see in your church? Sin. You know what you see in you? Sin. You know what you see in your mind? Sin. Thought, word, desire. Why? Because clearly something is not quite the way it's being told. It says it should be the goal of every Christian to sin no more. Okay, well, I got no problem saying that should be your goal. Although we recognize that while we're in the flesh, we will still stumble. Why do we still stumble? Do we have an old nature? Is the old nature gone? God's desire for each of us is to be holy as he is holy. That's his law. His law always demands that we be holy as he is holy. We still sin. But we no longer, but sin is no longer a lifestyle choice. What does that even mean? It's no longer a lifestyle choice. If you continue to sin and thought word and deed day in and day out, it is your lifestyle. I don't know what that even means. When we fail, we come back and ask God for forgiveness. Okay. If we are truly God's children, he will correct us, disciplining us when we need it. His work is to conform us to the image of his son. And then that's it. That's the entire article. I don't know what any of that supposedly means. I don't know what that even proves. I don't know. So how do you handle these scriptures that say, go and sin no more? Do you say, well, no, it's not, you're going to be perfect. It just means you're going to, you're not going to live a lifestyle. If you say that, what does that mean? Because I guarantee you, your lifestyle is still one of sin because you are sinning all the time in thought, word, and deed. You don't love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. You don't love your neighbor as yourself. And you're not as holy as God calls you to be because you're to be holy as he is holy. Therefore, you're in a perpetual state of sin. That is a lifestyle. Okay, so that doesn't even seem to work or make sense. And not only that, it says, go and sin no more. It doesn't say, go and try to go in a better direction. You see, you want to lessen the passages. I think those passages, go and sin no more, are law, Our law. Now, we talk about the law's use and those who are not saved, that it's there to show them their sin, reveal their, their sin to break them and drive them to Christ. But you know what? The law still has that same work in us as a believer. As a believer, I'm still told the law still demands that you go and sin no more. God's requirement, God's desire is that you be holy as he is holy. It's the same thing. Go and sin no more. Be ye holy as he is holy. It's the same thing. That, that, those scriptures, that, that concept, be holy as, as God is holy. That's talked about in first Peter. That's spoken to Christians. We are still remind Christians, here's God's law. Here's God's standard. And even as a Christian, you say, then what does it do? Well, one, it tells me what God's will is for my life, that I am to pursue godliness and holiness. But you know what it continues to do? It continues to humble me and break me, strip me of all my self-righteousness and show me once again that I must constantly be fleeing to Christ, his cross, his righteousness, his mercy his imputed righteousness, because apart from that I am finished. Go and sin no more. God, I, I can never accomplish that. I know you need my grace and you need my righteousness. Yes, Lord, have mercy on me. Now I do know it's God's will to He He is holy. He demands His 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 demand for perfection never changes. It is true before salvation it is true after salvation. I should pursue it, but I have to acknowledge I cannot ever do, go and sin no more. Lord, I can't do that. I'm going to fall short. I need your mercy. It breaks me, it humbles me, drives me back to where I need to start every day at the foot of the cross, covered in his blood and be grateful for God's mercy and and stand in his imputed righteousness and know that in Christ I no longer sin in my position and then try to live out what I can. That's the only that's the only way that's the only way it, nothing else makes any sense unless you start m- lessening it. And you can't lessen The law of God. Those passages go and sin no more. They are no different than when Peter told people, be holy as God is holy. When Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Those laws constantly are there. They show a lost person that they are condemned and need Christ. And they show a saved person that they still need Christ. And they still need his forgiveness and his mercy because we're still condemned. We're still condemned in the sense that we will never be able to perform what the law demands. Never. We are saved by an imputed righteousness, not an infused righteousness, but we are going to continue to teach for some weird reason in the American church that, no, you can do it. And notice what they did. Oh, you get this change. You get this change. You get this change. You get a new heart. You no longer desire this. You love God. They tell you all these things you supposedly have, and then they cannot bring themselves to say, well, therefore you should be perfect. They have to say, well, I mean, you're still going to sin. You're still going to stumble. You're still going to fall. Why? If supposedly all these other things have happened. If I'm going to continue to sin, either A, that means there's a limit to the power you claim that I've received, which means I can't get to perfection. So the power is limited. B, I'm not as free from sin as you're claiming. C, the sinful nature has not been eradicated. So clearly you've got to then change all the change you claim that we have. Those changes are true positionally. Practically, I still have a body of flesh. I still have a sinful nature and a sinful heart. And I'm going to continue to sin, even though God's law tells me every day, go and sin no more, be holy as God is holy. And every day I must say, Woe is me, I'm undone. My only hope is in the finished work of Jesus Christ, because in Christ I don't sin. In Christ I am holy. Now, those are my initial thoughts, and I'll stop right there on this Monday. July the 31st, 2023. We may talk about this more. Obviously, we'll continue to be talking about s- uh, subjects related to this in our ongoing series on law and gospel, the proper distinction between law and gospel. We're at like 90 plus hours on that series. You can find that series on the Church One app. If You can, uh, you can also find that series on the Sermons 2.0 app. All right, please follow us Find the series and then go back and listen to all of it. And you'll hear this much more articulated. But that's that's just some thoughts I wanted to throw out this evening. All right. Now, it does appear we had some technical issues on the Spreaker app. And this broadcast has already been posted on all the podcasting apps. You are obviously aware that something is wrong because I'm still broadcasting. So how has it already been posted? Clearly, the audio, it cut out. It's sent the what 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 happened in that broadcast and it's going to create two of them what i'm going to do i don't think anything went wrong on the church one app so i'm going to take their uh recorded version of this trim it down to just the beginning and then we'll uh replace it on spreaker and for all the podcasting apps we'll we'll make sure it's the correct audio i'm hoping there was no problems on church one i don't think there was but if there was then <laughs> If, if something went wrong and there's no way to uh, to save this, then uh, well this will just be if you heard me live, you heard me live and if and if I can't fix the audio, it'll all be gone but I'm hoping it won't be All right I, I, there's much more I could say but but the goal here tonight was just to kind of set this before you read the article, throw out some thoughts and offer at least a possible solution. I know it's not a great one. But all the other solutions are not – look, anybody trying to pretend that there's an easy solution to those passages, just to me the key is go and sin no more is the exact same thing Peter was telling believers as be holy as he is holy or Jesus telling the Sermon on the Mount, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Those are all law passages. The law, I believe the law is preached to the lost, but it's also constantly, the law is also heard by those of us who believe because it constantly humbles us and shows us what God's demands still are. And we, and, and it once again drives us to the only hope, which is the finished work of Jesus Christ. All right, dot com. I'm going to go see how messed up everything is. I I didn't even realize that we had lost internet connection because I was looking, my computer's to the right. I was looking to my left. I was looking to my left. And uh, all of a sudden on my iPad, I get a notification that go and send no more is now on Pocket Cast. And I'm like, how is this episode on a podcasting app? I'm still live. That's always disturbing. All right, we'll see what we can do. All right, thanks for listening. Everyone have a great evening, great night, great morning. God bless.